Hi, I'm Daniel Sikalovsky, also known as Daniel Lesden, and this is the pilot episode of Ask Me Anything. It's a new audio podcast where I answer your questions on music creation, the art of DJing, the music industry, record labels, behind-the-scenes, productivity, tech, and other areas of expertise, and pretty much anything else, as the name suggests. As you might know, over the years I've been pretty vocal about sharing knowledge and have written a hundred of advice on my blog. So although this podcast is new, here I'm basically doing the same thing, just in a new format. Though I must say, it feels pretty unusual for me to speak like that, you know, just sitting here and talking to the microphone, as normally I'm much more used to written communication. So we'll see how it goes. So the first question comes from Zeta, and the question is the following, quote, I would like to see how a DJ set builds up. Is it driven by the mood or more like new tracks slash tracks you haven't played before? What a great question. There is tons of information about mixing technique and how to mix one track with another, which is very useful too, but I believe there is not enough being said on how to build sets to make musical progression using those tracks that would make sense. First of all, I think it's important to specify what type of sets we're talking about. And since it wasn't stated in the question, let me go over a few different cases. This will be a lot of rumbling, but please bear with me as I want to answer this with as many details as possible and provide you with a clear understanding of the big picture. So, generally speaking, I put all DJ sets into two main categories or buckets, studio mixes and gigs. By studio mixes, I mean music podcasts, radio shows and even online live streams. It doesn't matter if one is using software like Ableton or recording a set on a pay of DJ players, as long as it's not a public event with crowd, then I would consider it a studio mix. Studio mix is like a blank canvas for a painter. It can be anything. Since it's not a public event, there is no crowd, no restrictions of any sort, so you can play anything you want. And that is not necessarily a good thing. I'm sure many creative people know that too many options can negatively impact one's creativity, leading potentially to what's known as the writer's block. So I believe that some sort of self-imposed constraint is actually very beneficial and healthy for the process. For me, it starts with track selection. During the month, I'm always looking for new tracks, and usually I end up with about 15 new tracks I add to my DJ collections every month. And whenever I decide to create a new studio mix, I then use those new arrivals as a starting pool. That might sound obvious to some of you, but I actually have over 7000 tracks in my DJ collection and quite a few of those tracks I haven't even played yet. So I could use only existing tracks with no problem. Though as I said, that would be an equivalent of a blank canvas, so I'm purposely adding a constraint in the form of trying to play newer tracks. I believe this allows to keep myself in a good shape as a DJ, provides a sense of novelty and excitement, and it also makes the process of building up a set easier. Now, to be clear, in my case, not all of those 15 new arrivals can be played in one DJ mix. If you are familiar with the music I play, you probably know how diverse it is in terms of styles and tempo. For example, among those new tracks easily could be Deep House and Hard Techno, which don't always fit together in a single set, unless I play some of those extremely long open-to-close sets. So once I have that initial pool of tracks, I then boil it down to only specific tracks that I can play together in a mix that I'm about to make. Usually that's somewhere between 5 to 10 tracks, whereas the typical tracks count in my one-hour mix is 15 or 16. But that's okay, I usually fill out the missing tracks as I go, either from a DJ collection or by going for another round of tracks hunting on the stores. If we use that painting analogy again, those first 5 to 10 tracks would be like a contour of a painting, which certainly makes filling out the details much easier from there. Next, I typically put tracks by energy levels in ascending order. And this is just my personal preference. I like when mixes have that sort of progression and when they start deeper but end up more pounding. 
There is no right or wrong here. Some DJs make their mixes flat, meaning they start and end on pretty much the same energy level vibe, which you can imagine as a flat line, and that's totally fine. However, I like it when the imaginary level line is a little bit inclined and is going upwards like a ramp, so I always think about which of those tracks that I pre-selected can work best as an opening track, which as a closing track, and so on. It's like connecting the dots, you know, when you have the key dots ready and connected, you start seeing the whole figure even when some dots are still missing. So once the tracks are placed on a timeline by energy level and I have a pretty good understanding of how I want to start and how I want to finish the mix in terms of the overall vibe, I then start filling the gaps by finding matching tracks using tempo information and musical keys for harmonic mixing. This is one of the main differences between studio mixes and DJ sets on the gigs, which I'll go over in a minute. In the studio, I have the time to polish every transition and I'm certainly trying to do so. And a very few words about harmonic mixing. For those of you who may not heard of it, it's a technique that many DJs use to find tracks that sound musically good together. It's often presented in a form of a wheel with music notation and you can google it Camelot wheel if you want to find more. I'm using that technique too and I can recommend it to most beginner DJs or any DJs for that matter. However, I want to give a little caution to not over-relying on this technique. Harmonic mixing is a great as a starting point to learn how to make good sounding transitions, but it's not the only way. Sometimes I make amazing transitions, which formally speaking would be labeled as incorrect if viewed strictly from the Camelot wheel perspective. As they say, to break the rules, it's good first to know the rules. So to summarize, first, during the month I'm looking for new tracks and end up with about 15 new arrivals, which I have used as a starting pool for my new mix. Then I see what of those tracks can be played together based on their styles, tempo range, etc. Then I figure out which track can work as an opener, which as a filler, which as a closer, and so on. Then I fill the gaps by searching for missing pieces in my DJ collection or going to another round of online music shopping. And then I work on the transitions using harmonic mixing technique to mix them together and build up a nice and smooth progression. And that is pretty much how I build studio mixes, like my monthly radio show Rave Podcast, for example. Now let's talk about the second category of sets which I mentioned in the beginning, which is the DJ sets on the gigs, club nights, festivals and other kind of music events. And this type of sets is a completely different story. The way I think about building up a set for a particular gig starts long before I step into the DJ booth. One of the first things I do when I have a new gig request is doing research. What's the venue? What's the crowd? What's the lineup? What other DJs are playing before and after my set? What's my role? Am I the headliner? Am I the warm-up DJ? Am I the closing DJ? All those things help me to get a decent understanding of what kind of music I will need for that particular event. Just to make it clear, I don't pre-plan my sets. For example, there are DJs who literally write down the tracklist in advance and then play basically pre-selected sets for real with the exact track's order. I don't do any of that. I prefer to read the crowd and go with the flow, which is of course much more challenging but also rewarding. When I prepare my music for expert to a USB stick, I think of playlists rather than specific tracks. For instance, do I need a deep trance playlist? Or do I need a dark and pounding techno playlist? And so on. For example, if I were to play an opening set, although I mostly play at peak time, but let's say I'm playing at the beginning of the event, then I definitely don't need the most banging tracks on my USB sticks like hard techno or full-on psychedelic. As a general rule of thumb, I take about 100 tracks on my USB stick per hour of my set. For a 2-hour set, that would be 200 tracks on my USB stick, for a 3-hour set, that would be 300 tracks, and so on. Of course, I end up playing only a handful of those tracks, while the rest serve me as extra tools for handling different dance floor situations. It's like packing for a travel. You start with the obvious things, like the duration and the purpose of the travel, whether it to be a 2-week vacation or a short business trip and so on, and so you plan accordingly. Then you might also bring some just-in-case items like umbrella or a cocktail dress and things like that. 
You're not necessarily going to need those items, but many of us pack extra little things like that just in case. So when it comes to exporting music to a USB stick when I'm preparing for a DJ set, that's pretty much the same thing. As you can see so far, even in the preparation stage, this type of DJ set is very different from the studio mixes. While for studio mixes I use my new music findings as a starting pool, for DJ sets at the events the key is to get a pool of music that is appropriate for the particular event and my specific role at that event. Of course that music can also be freshly released, but I'd say it's less more important in this case. Strangely enough, some older overlooked releases can bring more novel experiences to the dance floor than some of the latest hits, so I dig my collection not only online music stores. So that was the preparation. Now let's say I'm on stage at the DJ booth, how do I decide what to play and when I make that decision? I always try to arrive at the event at least a few hours before my set. This is not only to ensure that I can make a proper technical checkup, but also to listen to what other DJ before me playing and to see the crowd. And just to remind you, the question was how I build up my sets and one might think, what does it all have to do with building sets? And well, it has everything to do with that. Let me give you a few practical examples from my experience. I remember at one event I was playing second after the opening DJ and that DJ played wild. It was extremely fast, extremely pounding and of course the crowd wasn't ready at all. It's that time of the event when people are still coming in, they meet their friends, they go to the bar and so on. So by the end of that DJ set, people were still standing around the dance floor but no one wanted to step in because the music was too pounding for the empty dance floor. So when we switched over with that DJ, I had to completely reset the energy. And to do so, I chose the first track with a very long intro, it was almost like 2 minutes of basically just ambient sound. And that instantly gave people a cue that the next set was going to be different. So when the beat started at a much slower tempo, the people suddenly started dancing. Here is one more example. At another event, I was playing a headlining set, and as a warm-up DJ before me was a guy with a live set. And it was like a real proper live set with plenty of controllers and synthesizers around. And as it often happens with producers on the stage, he got so immersed in rotating the knobs on his gear that he completely lost and got disconnected from the crowd, so the people were bored. You can tell when people are just standing and looking at the clock waiting for the next DJ to arrive. So at that moment, I knew that I must start people dancing as quickly as possible, otherwise we would completely lose the dance floor. And probably the last thing they wanted to hear at that moment was a long ambient intro. So knowing that, I chose the first track with no intro at all, with that grooving beat starting almost immediately. And guess what? The dance floor came to life. I hope examples like that provide you with a good reason why it's crucial to stay flexible with your music selection and be open to adjusting on the fly. As you might have noticed during this conversation, I pay a lot of attention to the track's energy levels. What those energy levels are and how I define them is something that's probably worth a separate discussion, so I'm not going to go deeper on this now. But I just want to mention that energy level is a pretty tricky thing. For example, certain tracks with a lower tempo might have a higher energy level than the tracks with a higher tempo. So it's not only about the BPM. And while for studio mixes I always like to increase the energy throughout the mix, as I explained earlier, for DJ sets it's not always the case. The key takeaway from here is that I'm using energy levels very intentionally while building up my sets and this is the number one parameter, if you will, that I consider for my track selection during the set. So that is pretty much how I build up my sets. There are of course many more nuances, but I hope answer the question at least in a general contour. The second question comes from Jusko, I'm sorry if I mispronounced it, and the question is the following, quote, It would be really interesting to understand the reasoning behind how you create your DJ playlists. Just to give everyone a little bit of context here, I have over 7000 tracks in my DJ collection, all of those tracks are sorted into playlists by energy levels and certain sounds, and those are the playlists that they are referring to in the question. 
First of all, I'm using energy levels as the basic structure tool for my DJ playlists. I've touched on this topic a little bit in the previous question where I answer how I build up my sets, and I feel now it's appropriate to share more details. So I'm using a scale of 1 to 5, where 1 is the lowest and 5 is the highest energy. And the most important thing to understand here is that it's all subjective. For example, if I assign a certain track energy level 3, it only means that it sits somewhere in the middle energy-wise compared to other tracks that I'm playing. For those of you who don't know, I play pretty wide spectrum of different styles and tracks, especially during my longer open-to-close 6-hour sets. So for me, having DJ playlists grouped by 5 energy levels is not only very handy, but even essential. To make energy level folders a bit more informative, I give each level a name. And they go as follows in the ascending order. Opening, build-up, driving, big time and banging. You might have noticed that these names resemble certain DJ set types like opening set, big time set, etc. And this is of course is not a coincidence. Every time I listen to a new track and decide whether I want to purchase it to have it in my DJ collection, I ask myself where would this track fit? What its use case? At what time of a hypothetical event could I play this track? I find this approach to be really practical. Now remember that all those energy levels are basically folders in my DJ collection and inside those folders are the playlists. The last time I checked, I had 83 playlists in total, and as you can imagine, the level of granularity is pretty high, I would say. Inside each playlist, I group tracks by similarity of a particular sound or feel. For example, in the opening folder, meaning it's energy level 1, I have a playlist titled Climactic Progressive House. As you can guess, it's not a style, there is no such thing. But I'm using this for tracks that are basically progressive house, but have also these big climactic emotional moments. I think a few examples that I can give you from the top of my head are Tim Penner's Down Again or Marcel Plex's Solar Detroit. And I think these tracks are great as a bridge from energy level 1 to level 2. Another playlist example, this time in the energy level 3, is titled Dark and Pounding Tech House. And again, this is not quite a style of music, but rather the feel, the vibe. One might argue that the tracks I have there aren't even Tech House, and for some people it's techno, but it doesn't matter. Here I'm not trying to make accurate representation of the genres. In fact, most track genres in my collection don't match how these tracks labeled on the stores even Beatport, which is perfectly fine for me. I'll give you the last playlist example, this time from Energy Level 4, and the playlist titled Stabby Progressive Techno. Now you might think, this is ridiculous, it doesn't make any sense, and you would be absolutely right. But it does make sense to me, and that's the point. If we take a step back and look at the system of playlists as a whole, a good question to ask would be why why I'm doing all of this. And well, I'm glad you asked, because there is a very simple answer. I organize my collection to find the right track at the right moment. This is so crucial, so let me say it again. The whole point of organizing DJ collection is to find the right track at the right moment. It's not for the sake of order, it's not for the sake of bragging, it's not for the sake of the process itself, though I must admit I take immense pleasure from organizing music or organizing anything for that matter. But I truly believe that playing the right track at the right moment is the most challenging yet the most important skill of a DJ. And nicely organized DJ library is a practical tool that helps me to do so. Frankly, I see all tracks as tools and my DJ library as a giant toolbox, so it makes sense to know what tools I have at my disposal and where can I find them. This is especially important when I'm playing at events and I'm browsing the tracks on small screens of DJ players where everything is pretty limited, not to mention the pressure of standing on the stage and guiding hundreds or sometimes thousands of people. In situations like that, I must exactly know where to find the tracks that I'm looking for. And when I scroll through the playlist and see a title like Stabby Progressive Techno or anything else that wouldn't make sense to anyone, this tells me everything because I know exactly what's inside. 
And of course, I'd be remiss if I did not mention that all those playlists that I just talked about and my entire DJ collection are available as a new benefit for my tier 3 subscribers here on Patreon. If you are already, I hope you're enjoying it. And for those who are not tier 3 subscriber yet, I just want you to be aware of this new benefit in case it sounds interesting to you and you want to dig into my old music findings. The last but certainly not least question comes from Laura. And the question is the following, quote, How would you assess the current state of the trance scene, including your thoughts on the quality of music being released nowadays? Oof, good question. First of all, I think it's important to acknowledge that there is no single trance scene. Trance is one of the most diverse genres musically, and it consists of multiple trance scenes, with S plural. For example, there are hard trance, uplifting trance, deep trance, side trance, and even within side trance, there are sub-scenes of forest side trance, progressive side trance, psychedelic trance, and many, many more. These aren't just different styles, but different scenes with completely different events, DJs, and so on. I think talking about all of those individually would be too much of a rumble, so let's do it this way. On Beatport, all trance music styles are grouped into three main genres, which are trance main floor, side trance, and trance depro hypnotic. So I'll share my thoughts about the current state of each of those genres, which I think is a nice balance between generalizing and going too much into details. And before I share my opinion, I want to let you know briefly what it's based on. For those of my listeners who don't know, I work at Beatport as a trance music curator. And as a part of my job, I listen to every single new track that is being released in my genres. We're talking about thousands of tracks every week. Pretty crazy, right? And even more, I also listen to upcoming releases for weeks and sometimes months ahead before their release dates. And since Beatport is the largest store with very few labels choosing not to release on Beatport, I think it's safe to say that pretty much all trance music is going through my ears in one way or another. And so my opinion is based on that data, among other factors like personal conversations I'm having with artists, labels, owners, and of course my own experience as a DJ, and so on. So let's start with trance main floor, which is the umbrella term we use for mainstream trance music, which you can find on typical trance festivals with large LCD screens, lasers, and fireworks. If I'm completely honest, I think the majority of mainstream music sounds really poor and dated. It's all those uplifting tracks that sound exactly like 20 years ago with horrible mix down and cheesy vocal trance songs and trous, which is a weird combination of big room house and trance popular 10 years ago. All those things that contributed to the bad reputation of the word trance are still here. I may sound like a hater, but believe me, I'm not. I just know the difference between low quality music production and high quality music production. I also know for a fact that all those dated tracks aren't selling well, so it's not like the audience demanding more of this sound, it's not the case at all. And by the way, anyone can come to the same conclusion just by looking at the charts, so it's not inside information. But even though my personal musical taste lies within underground shades of trance, I still do like some mainstream trance too. For example, I absolutely love what is currently being released on Borderline, a label run by Activa. I think they have beautifully managed to capture what's known as the golden era of trance, which is the proper trance sound in my opinion. There are of course other great examples like John Askew, who has been loyal to his tech trance sound, or Solar Stones, Pute Trance, new on releasing decent tracks, and there are some occasional strong releases on Subculture, FSOE, and more. So of course, good classic trance music is still there, but I'd love to see more of it, especially with the likes of Borderline. And something else very interesting is happening in the mainstream trance too. If we take a step aside for a moment and look at the mainstream techno scene, there are a lot of kind of trance tracks in disguise. Some tracks have very obvious trance leads, some are remixes of trance classics, and so on. 
But because of the bad reputation the word trans had, many artists and labels chose to release their trancey tracks by tagging them as techno. However, what I'm seeing now is that all those trancey techno artists are much more okay now to call their tracks trance as they should be. I hope that over the past year since I've been creating trance on Beatport have contributed to this shift in producers' mindset too. I believe that if a track sounds like trance and feels like trance, then it should be labeled as trance, even when it comes from a quote-unquote techno producer, as simple as that. And that of course should be true to any other genre. So now we're seeing some tracks from Adam Bayer's Drum Code label released as trance, some tracks from Charlotte David's label being released as trance. The star of Anjuna Deep Marsh recently made a remix of a trance classic and released it on Armada Music and done a collaboration with Ferry Corsten. Another example is Sasha, you know, from Sasha and Digwit, the progressive house legend, recently released a 138 pure trance track, I mean just crazy. Or a techno titan Alan Fitzpatrick created a brand new alias specifically to release trance, which is pretty good actually. And there are many more examples like this now, which I think is great and is a big win. It feels like the stigma of trance as a bad word is fading away. And all in all, I think this is great and brings more credibility to the word trance, which is well needed after a decade of pure reputation. So to summarize my opinion on the trance main floor, I think currently it isn't great because of the large volume of low-quality outdated releases, however, we definitely see good signs of moving in the right direction. Now, before I move on, I want to quickly mention that there is another trend emerging, which is a fast, happy, trance-ish sound, though even I'm not sure whether to call it trance or something else like Eurodance. It might be potentially a part of the main floor trance, or maybe not. For now, I just observe and see how it develops. Next, let's talk about Psytrance, and I think Psytrance is very strong at the moment. For those of you who don't know, I produced and played Psytrance for almost a decade, and I started listening to Psytrance in 97. And yes, in case you wonder, I was 10 at the time. So among all the genres, Psytrance is the one I know inside out the most. I remember in 2019, I almost entirely stopped playing Psytrance because of all those triplets and mantras and other cliches that were basically in every second track, and now I'm happy to see that it's almost gone. The production quality of nowadays Psytrance is just amazing, and fresh music ideas and music diversity are also there. Of course, there are copycats, and sometimes when you listen to tons of tracks like I do, it feels a bit generic, but nevertheless, Psytrance is certainly in a very good spot overall. If you want some names, I think one of my personal current favorite labels in the side scene is Stereo Society by Freedom Fighters. I think they're releasing very fresh, forward-thinking music, and of course there are many more examples like that. I also want to acknowledge high-quality dark side trance music. I know it's not for everyone and it's not my personal favorite style either, but it's there and it's proper underground sound. I can mention only one potential downside of the side scene, and that is the fact that this scene is pretty small. If you look at the top charts, you find there all the usual names that have been there before for years, and if you find any new name, chances are they're just a new alias of another successful producer. So while the quantity might be fewer than in some other genres, at least the quality bar is certainly very high, which is great. Last but not least, there is Trans Raw Deep Hypnotic, the new addition which was added last year to answer the needs of the trans community. Because we added it just recently and it's still an emergent genre, there are obviously not as many releases yet, but this is okay and I'm sure we'll get the quantity eventually. Now, if we look at the scenes, not just musical genres on the store, but the actual musical scenes with their own events, etc., I think there are actually two scenes. First is Deep Trance, pushed forward by John W. Fleming and his Juve recordings, as well as other labels like Forscape Digital by Illusion, 
Backroom by Bazaloglu, Settlement by Fuyanka, and more. Overall, I think Deep Trance is pretty decent. Now, there are some influences from Progressive House and Melodic Techno, as many of the Deep Trance producers have been released in those genres due to the absence of their own home on Beatport previously, and sometimes it gets a bit tricky. For example, if a track has the trancey bass layer but also has the typical melodic leads on top, where should it go? To Deep Trance or to Melodic Techno? I'm basically acting as a gatekeeper to the genre, but I don't want to reject too much music since the genre is still emerging, so it's a pretty thin balance between having not 100% proper Deep Trance track versus not having them at all. I hope it makes sense. Next, I'd like to talk about Raw Trance, which is a collective name for all rower, a bit faster trance heavily inspired by the early trance music. And I think it is absolutely phenomenal and is my current favorite sound of all trance music. One of the big sources of such music is a label called UTE, I believe it's based in Norway, with the artists like Alpha Tracks, Omforma, Opera Professional, Kineta, as well as Alan Backdrop, Nordic Echoes, and more. There are also some releases on Lost Language, a label of the legend Ben Lost, with the likes of Astral Bandit, Sayok, Claire's Accessories, Inside Blow, and more. And there are also labels like Space Tracks, Blue Hour, Slash, Anata, and many, many more. To be fair, those releases are a little bit sparse, and you probably won't see them at the top of the charts because it's a real underground sound. But surprisingly, sometimes amazing raw trance comes from very unexpected places like Deep House. Crazy, right? There are names like Goddess, House, which spells like H-A-W-S, four letters, House, Craig Nodes, and more labels which mostly focus on House and Deep House and occasionally release amazing proper trance. Some of those tracks might sound somewhat close to Psytrance, slightly reminding me of the Scandinavian trance like Old Vibrosphere or Human Blue, but it's still different enough from the current Psytrance scene. So I'm very happy that this raw trance sound has its own home on Beatport now, and I'm pretty confident that we're going to see more of it. Well, I hope I answered the question, and that wraps up today's episode. To be honest, I never thought I could talk for that long, <laughs> you probably hear how my voice has changed throughout the show, and if you are still here listening up to this point, well, big thumbs up to you. I hope you enjoyed it. Just as a reminder of what I said in the beginning, this is the pilot episode, meaning we'll see whether to continue, how often, and so on, based on your feedback. If you found my rambling valuable or at least somewhat interesting, please let me know, along with any feedback. And of course, the title of this show is Ask Me Anything, so please don't hesitate, well, to ask me anything, as the name suggests. I want to make this show as useful to you as possible, I don't want to make things up, so whatever you'd like me to talk about, just please let me know. And well, bye for now, and I'll see you next time.